Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Today on History Rhymes, the subject is the Moonshot Program. In the 2030s, though greenhouse emissions were phasing out, the task left many with lingering doubt. For permafrost melt in the meantime, caused global temperatures to continue to climb. In 2034, the Moonshot Program took flight, as Earth struggled with its warming plight. Dust was mined from the lunar ground and shot into space with a thunderous sound, forming a cloud that blocked sun rays, reducing the light that came our way. The program bought us time to turn the climate from scary to divine. But opponents rallied, debates got heated, as they argued that the costly program was not needed. They tried to stop atmosphere cleanup plans, saying people no longer polluted the lands. Studies revealed but they denied that permafrost released gases they couldn't hide. The moonshot program, not a permanent solution, if stopped today without substitution. Global temperatures would rise, a steep climb, in a frighteningly short amount of time. Tom kneels beside a machine, painstakingly pulling part of its outer casing off. He lives on the moon but not for long. After serving 12 years, he can return to Earth having earned enough to live comfortably for the rest of his life. Only four more months. He'll need to go through gravity reconditioning. It sounds like inpatient physical therapy. The meds he takes are supposed to reduce the effects of living off-world. Retiring in his 30s, won't that be nice? Some only serve two years on the moon. Others come for two years, return to Earth, then come back. He wants to return to his hometown a wealthy man. Only 4 feet 3 inches tall, few took him seriously. The mean kids in his middle and high schools called him Gopher Face. When he visited his career counselor in his senior year, they made some offhand comment about short and small people going to space. He clung to that. Now, the internet has revealed that life hasn't been easy for so many from his hometown. He isn't angry at any of them, just acutely aware that they were so sure and had no clue. He won't be smug when he returns, nor will he try to mend fences others have busted down. The only thing sweeter than success is success over adversity. His weight suit, a thick mesh hat and shirt, make him weigh twice as much, which is still a lot less than he'd weigh on Earth. In the back of the rover, he tugs gear wheels out of the machine enclosure, a mechanism that moves a joint on one of the belt arms. Dust falls off the wheels, some of it in compacted chunks. He used to need video coaching to clean one of these but now he can do it all on his own. The rover's back door is docked and open to Canon 7 facility. The air filter clicks on and groans, causing the lights just outside the rover to briefly dim. He heaves a sigh and stretches his neck. The schedule has been stressful for over a year, one technical emergency after another, clogged evaporators, a misfiring cannon, and a bacterial infection in the air rejuvenator. 
His foldable rings, so he pulls a glove off and answers it, hello? A woman's voice says, a star's friendship participant is calling, can you speak right now? He says, sure. The star's friendship program connects earthlings with lunars to help maintain the mental health of those living off-planet. A scratchy voice says, Tom? Tom says, yes, it's me. He rests his foldable on the floor, puts the glove back on, and rubs a dust brush, not much bigger than a toothpick, over the teeth of a gear. The voice says, it's me, Derek. Tom says, yes, I know. How are you? Derek says, doing well. It's been crazy down here. The robots are taking over. They're everywhere. I think you're lucky to be up there right now. Tom says, I don't know about that. We're still running a skeleton crew. I haven't had a day off. Could you send some of those robots up here? Derek laughs and says, I have good news. Your idea of putting on my fun me page that I'm a star's friend has really helped. I'm getting close to having enough. Tom smiles and says, that's great news. How close are you? Derek says, only 4,000 to go. Tom says, wow, it was like a quarter million last time we talked. Derek says, I know. I've got to admit I'm scared. Tom says, it's amazing what they can do these days. And the internet says that hospital is the best. Derek says, I'll be the first to receive two whole eye transplants at the same time. I just wish I wasn't so scared. Tom says, it's okay. I have a real good feeling about your surgery. Just think about learning to see. Derek says, yeah. Tom walks through facility 7. Each cannon has a facility. To make each facility they dug a big hole, put in the modules, and covered it over. The cannon fires every 10 minutes causing everything to shake. 7 facility was built to house 3 people. He has the same amount of space as a 3 bedroom house to himself. That's a lot of space for an earthling but an obscene amount for anyone living off planet. All the tech here is over 10 years old which feels like a few decades old. Tom's been hearing about the long-chain rocket fuel, stronger materials, and single-part mechanisms immune to dust. The schematics of the new rockets make him envious. Those new spacesuits look half as bulky as his. Walking through the aeroponic grow room, he breathes the air thick with oxygen. Dark green leaves stretch out under LED lights. The plants are one of the few things that have been updated. The latest crop grows bigger, has better nutrients, and more vitamins. In a general-purpose module on one wall, four suits hang. He sits at the comms desk and fires up the PC. Five new emails. Hopefully, this won't take too long. One email from the president congratulates the crew for putting in the extra hours. Blah, blah, blah. He deletes it. The second email is repairs report. Delete. The third email reminds him to take an internet security course. That course hasn't changed for the 11 years he's been on the moon. What are they going to do, fire him? Delete. Two more repairs reports. Delete. 
Tom places food, water, a personal hygiene kit aka shower in a bag, and a change of clothes into a big plastic tub and carries it to the rover. It's going to take a few sleep, wake cycles to reinstall the sweeper arm mechanism. Tom sits in the front of the rover as it rocks and rolls along. All the windows have darkened deeply because the sun is out. Previous trips have worn a dirt road around the circular field where dust is mined. The field's diameter is 3 kilometers. 30 scraper trucks mine the surface and feed dust to the belt which carries dust to processing. H2O is heated out of the dust, and then the dust is fed to the cannon and fired off into space. Tom can't see much detail on the land but he can see the cannon, long and narrow, pointing into the black sky. The other cannons are spaced kilometers apart, 30 cannons in all. On the map on the dash screen, he tags the belt to set the rover to drive to it. He'll have to keep an eye on the rover while it drives. Its level of self-driving isn't as great as the cars on Earth. He pulls his boots off and rests his bare feet on the dash. The rover bounces along in the low gravity. One of the scraper trucks drives near as it circles the minefield. The size of a large house, it moves slowly and the rover soon passes it. He opens his foldable and plays a free game that he downloaded before his last sleep. Most free games are dumb. He'll download any free game no matter how poorly made or unoriginal its cover art looks. Every once in a while he'll find a game that enthralls him for weeks, months sometimes. He'd never, ever download a game onto company equipment, but this is his personal foldable. If it bricks his foldable, it's about time he gets a new one anyway. This game annoys him, it's so bad. He uninstalls it and browses for a new one. Alien Candy to the rescue, perks his interest. He installs it. He starts the game. In the background, his phone installs two more apps. One app allows remote control of his foldable and the other app turns his foldable into a remote terminal for industrial equipment. A remote terminal rests in the passenger seat that Tom uses to diagnose and control equipment including the nuclear reactor, the mining trucks, the belt, the cannon, and even the waste processor. Each machine requires a password from a remote terminal, but in the last 10 years new AI password finders have turned the security world upside down, and real-time quantum encryption hasn't been installed at Moonshot. Tom plays the game for 20 minutes then uninstalls it and searches for a new one. The two incognito apps remain. A tremor passes over the land and Tom looks up in time to see a cylinder-shaped object fly out of the cannon and disappear into the distance of space. 20 kilometers away, Yoshimura Toru takes the transport rail through a tunnel to Facility 20. He wears one of the outdoor space suits. The subterranean and interior pressure suits are much lighter. Surface suits can take intense heat, and Toru may need to go outside at some point. Having helped install these tunnels more than a decade ago, Toru's rugged features remain alert. The trip from Facility 19 to 20 takes half an hour. The open car on the plastic tracks rolls smoothly through the tube-shaped tunnel deep underground. Toru vids with Vita from America. 
An AR projection of her on the inside of his face shield appears to float at arm's length in front of him. He says, have you seen those VR dots? Though he speaks in Japanese, she instantly hears him speaking English, and he hears her speaking Japanese. Their lips sync with the overdubbed translations. She's put weight beads on the long strands of her hair so that it hangs like it would on earth, nicely framing her heart-shaped face and bright blue eyes. She blinks many times and says, how could I not? Earth can't shut up about them. I'm so jealous. As she speaks, she uses a long pick to chip away at compacted dust inside a stainless steel tube. He nods, they use robotic chairs that inject all the chips at once. I don't think they're going to ship one of those chairs up here anytime soon. She twists her lips and says, no. We'll have to wait. Earth changes so quickly. I feel like I'll be an imposter when I go back. He says, I know what you mean. A cannon fires, sending tremors through the tunnel and making him sway. She moves her face back and forth like she's about to take a selfie. She says, I used to wear glasses. I still do, after I take my contacts out. He grins broadly and says, I bet you want some of those AR glasses. She laughs, so badly. Hey, does the new treatment give you any side effects? He shakes his head. Not yet. She says, it's supposed to improve blood flow and bone density, but it gives me a rash. He says, where? She twists and looks down. On my side. He says, oh. She looks up, smiles, and says, so, it looks like you're coming up on facility 20. He says, I need to patch 20. It's been depressured for five months. That's too long. He's wanted to come up with an excuse to visit her but they've both been behind schedule. She works from facility 29, all the way down the line. And now her time will be up soon. She'll go back to the States. He'll work up here two more years and then what? Hi, I just happened to negotiate a wartime intercontinental flight to the city nearest your town and drove 100 kilometers so I thought I may as well drop by. She reads his face and her smile lessens. She says, I've been pulling 14 hours a day, trying to check off all my alarms. He says, yes, me too. She says, we need some of those robots. Have you seen them? Her throat moves when she swallows causing him to detect a longing. Is he imagining? He laughs. Yes, I've seen turns of them tiling floors, sizing wedding rings, and hemming pants. Tok Tok keeps showing me them. The car stops, all the tunnel lights go out, and the vid feed blinks off. Even the emergency lights along the rails shut off. This is not good. His suit still has power, but Vita's feed shut off so it's not just him losing power. He switches his helmet spotlights on. Pushing and pulling on the forward slash reverse lever on the cart does nothing. Normally he can feel cannons going off near and far. The ground is still, not even a distant tremor. The cannons aren't working. Don't panic. The nearest facility has no air. How long will it take him to walk back to 19? He pulls the lever to reverse so the car will catch up if it turns back on. 
Then he climbs to his feet and starts walking back to 19. After 20 paces he feels it, a distant tremor. He says, yes, and shakes his fists. After a few seconds, a tremor from one of the other cannons rumbles past his feet. The cannons have resumed but the lights don't come back on. So, does that mean the cannons are running on backup power? How long does backup power last? It feels like he's in a shrinking hole. He's stuck deep underground. There is no lifeline. He is the lifeline. He says, vid Vita. His helmet AI says, your previous connection with Vita isn't working. Do you want me to try to reach them another way? He says, call her foldable. He stumbles, slowly falls, and bounces off the rocky ground. The lack of gravity makes it harder to climb to his feet again. A larger tremor passes. Sergei, a Ukrainian in his thirties, awakes to an alarm. He throws the weighted blanket off and bounds to the wall terminal. Air quality alert blinks in red. His movement didn't trigger the lights to come on. Barely able to see, he reaches for the blinking light on his personal foldable. The screen glows when he opens it up. His foldable is blowing up, as the Americans like to say. Its AI says, air quality alert. 20 messages pop up. He rubs his bulbous nose and clicks on the first. A live vid opens, in session. Four windows show worried faces. Toru says, Sergei, you're here. You need to get in a suit. Drips of sweat run down Toru's face. Everyone on his screen wears space helmets. Bare-chested, Sergei turns his foldable beam light on and bounds through his grow room. He says, what happened? The back of his throat burns. Casey, with very short ginger hair, puffy skin around her eyes, and wet cheeks says, the reactors are down. The backup generators are running off the hydrogen we make to fuel return flights. Sergei tugs a suit off of its holders, brings the opening in the back to his feet, and slides in. His foldable slowly falls to the floor. He does remember Moonshot has backup. Water is heated off the mine dust before it's shot into space. Most of the water is separated into oxygen and hydrogen to fuel all the vehicles and is collected in mammoth tanks for rocket flights to Earth. Backup generators connected to the tank switch on when there's a loss of power. The backup system is dummy tech. Drops in voltage switch relays that turn it on. He pulls a switch on the suit sleeve and watch size machines in the back zip up and seal the opening. He grabs a helmet and slides it into the wide ring level with his neck. The suit switches on, scans his face, and issues many AR alerts. He says, open group vid. The four windows showing his teammates appear lined up in the lower portion of his field of view. A cannon tremor shakes the facility. The others talk. He says, why don't I have power in the facility? Toru's eyes look bloodshot. He says, backup power is minimal. The cannons are still running. The scraper trucks are still mining. Toru's head moves around a lot. He's busy trying to move something while talking. Casey says, Earth is running diagnostics. 
My commander just told me they're sending help. Toru's face turns red as he tugs on something. He pants and says, I'm pulling a battery from my rover. I can use it to power a track cart. I'm going to see what happened to Vita. You guys need to find out what happened to Tom. We need everyone accounted for. Toru loads a long battery into a follow trailer along with several canisters of oxygen then he switches the trailer on. As he starts down the tunnel the trailer rolls behind him. He step jumps, trying not to hit his helmet on the top of the tunnel. Hoping that the power may come back on, he remembers his training when a robot arm held him underwater and wouldn't let him up until he fit six puzzle pieces together, pushing their pegs into holes. His body wanted to flail and fight for the water's surface, but he made himself stay on task. It feels like a weight pushes down on his chest and his lungs won't let him take a full breath. The tunnel straightens out and the mag light he carries lights a long distance. Don't think about how long this will take. He could have taken the rover on the surface but once he gets the track cart running, he'll be able to get to Vita much faster. As he bounds, the flashlight swoops around in one circular pattern while the direction of the tunnel appears to swoop around in another circular pattern. All he can hear is his breath, heartbeat, and the impacts of his boots on rocky ground. He says, I'll get to you, Vita. I'll get to you. Tom taps the screen, knocking blocks out of the way so his game car won't crash into them. His screen flickers and the image of a bird hitting window glass replaces his game. On the image, words say, I was the shadow of the waxwing slain. The rover takes a hard right and drives off the road, down a steep slope, away from the mining field. He flies off the seat, crashes into the ceiling, and falls against the windshield. Driving downhill on rocky terrain, the rover bucks him around inside the cab and it takes him many tries to get in the seat and hold on. The dash screen shows the same image of the bird blurred by shaking and jolting. He grabs the steering wheel and pulls it off the dash, but it does nothing to change the rover's direction. The rover picks up speed. It's heading away from Moonshot. It's headed straight for No Peep's land. Hanging on, Tom shouts, stop. Stop. This concludes the episode. Subscribe to find out what happens to Tom, Toru, Vita and the rest. Thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is n20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.